0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now it's time to listen to this week's message. Praise the Lord. Who can testify that God is good? Oh, yes. I like the response this morning. See, we were with 13,000 young people this weekend. So I don't want... I know some of you, you've lived a lot longer with Jesus than young people. That means we got more to shout about. Come on, we got more to thank God for. And so, but what a joy to gather together in that name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. And Jesus is king and his kingdom is here. And he wants to break in into our situations and break into the tough questions we have. And I am certain that everyone here today has had hard questions in life. And as we conclude this series today, I'm picking up where we left off the last time I preached. And this is part two of Why Is This Happening? Why is this happening? Pastor Craig did wonderful last week. And um, what a blessing to be able to share the pulpit as God is going to raise up multiple voices and pastors and apostles and prophets and evangelists. Can I hear an amen? See, when I get around other visionaries, the vision and and the baby, if you know the Christmas story, but Jesus in me begins to kick again (laughs) and remind Remind me of all that He's called us to at Dwelling Place Movement. And I'm telling you that because we serve a great God, there's great days ahead. That the God who spoke it and the God who promised it is faithful and able to perform it. Hallelujah. Well, if you didn't get a sermon card today, we want to make sure that you do. You can... Put your hand up and you'll be served right now. They'll put this into your hand, not just to follow along today, but also to go back over what God is speaking. God is speaking. In fact, statistics research proves that those that take notes or have notes and go back over it will remember 80% more of what they hear than those that do. That speaks to why some of you can't remember what you learned in high school and college. (laughs) You didn't take good notes, but... Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. You can get a new start today. A new start. Well, let's go to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Today we're going to begin in verse 9. We left off in verse 8. Acts chapter 18. Beginning in verse 9. Here's what Dr. Luke records. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. Verse 11. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, the Bema seat, saying, This fella persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. It's the law of Moses. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names of your own law, look to it yourselves. Notice that. For I do not want to be a judge in such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took S- uh, Sosophanes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed to Syria. And Priscilla, yeah, the Syria that you know of today, Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Cenchrea for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews." When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must. Someone say, I must. must. By all means, keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia, Phrygia, in order, strengthening all the disciples. Let me pray. Father, God, what an honor to know you, not just as creator, but Father. And Lord, we thank you that there's only one way to know you as Father, one way to come boldly before you, and that's Jesus Christ the way. And we give him all honor We give Him all glory. We give Him all adoration. We thank You, Holy Spirit, that You're going to make much of Jesus. You're going to manifest and speak concerning Jesus and what He's done and what He's doing and what He's going to do. I yield myself to You, Holy Spirit. Just a vessel of You, that Your breath of life would penetrate into questions, into areas of people's lives. And for this we give You praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We learned in part one here in Acts 18 that when it comes to tough questions, that the cause is not the cause. That some of you are looking at the natural cause of what you're facing. And because you're looking at the natural cause of what you're facing, it is producing and for some of you multiplying tough questions in your heart and in your mind. But last time together we saw that there's another perspective. That there's a cause behind the cause. That God is working behind the natural causes ultimately for the cause of Christ in your life, in this city, in this region, in this nation, and in the nations of the world. That when it comes to the tough questions regarding politics, politics provide a context for the cause of kingdom perception. When it comes to your profession and questions related to your profession, your profession provides a context for the cause of kingdom provision. When it comes to being pressed in the Spirit, it provides a context for the proclamation of the kingdom. And when it comes to having plans changed in your life, it provides a context for kingdom purpose. Today we come to verse 9. Notice here Dr. Luke records that the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. Someone say vision. Here we see that the theme of the prophetic begins to come into play. A supernatural encounter Paul has. A prophetic event takes place in his life. The text, the scripture calls it a vision. Through this vision, the Lord spoke to Paul. Visions coincide with the area and the issue of spiritual gifts, spiritual dreams, Spiritual visions, spiritual encounters. When it comes to spiritual gifts and spiritual encounters, we must remember that the cause is not the cause. The cause of a vision and the cause of a prophetic encounter and the cause of a spiritual gift is not just for you to have an experience, it's not just for you to have a gift. The ultimate cause of spiritual encounters and spiritual gifts and prophetic encounters is to testify to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is testified to, it affects our posture. In fact, the apostle John in Revelation 19.11 said, The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus this is how you can know the difference between the pure prophetic and the pure pathetic. Because one is built on and around and focused on Jesus Christ, the only king of the kingdom. And others, the false, is focused on man himself. The apostle Paul, in fact, who received this prophetic vision, he said in his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14 and 3, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. When you look in the original language and you look in the Greek of what Paul is saying about prophecy and spiritual encounters, it says that prophecy builds up, it stirs up, and it helps up. See, the prophetic is testifying about who Jesus is and about what Jesus is about to do. And when you begin to hear the testimony about Jesus and what he's done and what he's about to do in your life, in this church, in this region, in the nation, in the nations of the world, it changes your posture. It begins to build you up. It begins to stir you up. It begins to help you up. And I know some of you are in tough places. I know some of you are in tough seasons. But you say, why did this person encourage me? Why did this person speak something about me and about my future as if they were ignoring the difficulty I'm facing? I'm telling you why. Because the cause is not the cause. They're testifying to what Jesus is going to do in your life. And the prophecy is to stir you up. It's to help you up. It's so that you don't camp out in the wrong place, in the wrong season, in the wrong destination, that Jesus has more in you. Jesus wants to do more through you and that he can get more glory out of our life. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Notice each of them relates to our posture. The posture of being built up. See some of you I'm trying to get your eyes on Jesus because you, you're looking up here at a man, 6'5", bench about 350. So how do you get that posture? How do you get so built up? No. But Jesus wants to build us up in the Spirit. I think it was Smith Wigglesworth who said, I might be small on the outside, but I'm big on the inside. Let Jesus get big on the inside of you. This is what prophetic encounters. This is what prophetic words. This is what spiritual gifts are for. To build us up, to affect our posture. To stir us up. To begin to have an excitement, and expectation. See, I don't just want Kentucky basketball to stir me up. I don't want just Georgia football to stir some of you up. I don't want shopping malls on exit 9 to stir you up alone. Oh, I want the testimony of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus to stir you up, cause you to wake up stirred, wake up longing for the king and his kingdom to break in into a new way, to places of your heart, places of your home, places of your business, places of your job and your sphere of influence. See, it affects our posture, the posture being helped up. The cause is not the cause. The cause is that our posture would change. Some of you are coming in and you're, you're downtrodden. Like the writer of Hebrews said, your, your hands and your knees are becoming feeble to what God's called you to. And you say, Why? Are people still speaking encouragement to me? And why did this person prophesy to me? Why did I get a spiritual dream? Why did I have this spiritual encounter? Because Jesus is testifying to you. It's to change your posture. That our posture would move from being situational focused and self-focused and naturally focused to being Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Christ-dependent, and christ Did you know that Paul speaks elsewhere about this season that Dr. Luke records here that Paul was having in Corinth? In fact, Paul tells about his posture when he went into the city of Corinth. Follow with me. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Now, this is wisdom and speech based on what the culture valued. Corinth was a a place of eloquence and learning. He said, I didn't come with the way that you would normally want, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Watch this. Here's my posture, Paul says. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech, my preaching, were not with persuasive words. They weren't sexy, seducing words. Of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power. That your faith, your focus, your trust, your adherence should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is is very interesting. Paul, he arrives in Corinth, and his posture about himself and his own ability was an awareness, a consciousness of his own weakness. He was aware that he ain't God. He was aware he had some weaknesses. He was aware that he had emotions of fear, and he had a posture of much trembling and apprehension. But Paul was given a prophetic word. And the cause behind the calls of the prophetic word was so that he would ex- become experientially aware that he was not alone nor was he dependent on his own ability nor was he dependent on his own posture nor was he dependent on his own pedigree the prophetic word affected his posture now he was aware of who he was to lean upon he was to lean upon a rock of ages he was to lean upon the strong tower he was to depend not on his own ability and his own personhood but to depend on the ability and the person of Jesus Christ that it was getting his posture into alignment for kingdom authority the authority of the king of kings jesus christ an authority that doesn't rest on our own personhood it rests on the personhood of christ i couldn't heal the flea in here this morning but when you get in, in alignment with the king the authority doesn't rest on us it rests on him and he has all power all power someone say he's good Now, why was Paul's posture like this? We got chiropractics in our church speaking their language about posture. Posture, getting the physical body in the right posture. Well, you need to understand Paul's posture had been affected by his previous experiences and encounters in other cities. See, some of you today, questions you're asking, you're coming into a new situation, but you're not coming in as if you didn't have previous experiences. We all have had things happen. We bring the things in our journey up to this point into new experiences. Because you can be confident that when Paul goes into the synagogue, which was his custom, first in Corinth and they begin to oppose him. They begin to blaspheme him. You can be certain that Paul begins to take a posture, oh boy. What's going to happen this time? What's going to happen this time in this city? Is it going to be like Lystra when I, where I was stoned? Not not, you know, not marijuana, like literal stones for Jesus. Is it going to be like Philippi where I was beaten and imprisoned? Fear and weakness seem to become more prevalent in his life because he's dealing with opposition and he's got previous encounters and experience in previous cities where he was beaten and rejected and afflicted for the cause of Christ. And his posture begins to form back to an expectation of, oh boy, it's going to happen again. And then, bam. A prophetic vision. And the prophetic vision helps him up, stirs him up, builds him up, and gives him a new posture. Not one of looking over, over my shoulder, or the stones flying yet? Not one of looking over the shoulder, is the whip going to hit me yet? Not looking over the shoulder saying, are they going to arrest me yet? But a prophetic word gives him a new posture. And the Lord says, I have many people in this city and you will not be harmed. Paul's posture changes. Not because of his own personhood, but because of the prophetic declaration of the person he's serving, Jesus Christ. And then it says he continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God to them. Changed his posture. Someone say it changed his posture. Why have you had a prophetic word in the past? Why have you had a prophetic encounter in the past? It's to change your posture expectation of your king. When it comes to the issue of the prophetic and spiritual gifts, we next need to note that what was happening to Paul, the reason he had a prophetic vision was not because of his own good quality of a person. But it was because the Lord had many people in that city that he wanted to reach. Oftentimes, young believers, as they begin to experience the power of God and the prophetic and spiritual gifts, they begin to think that it's, Because of their own personhood. It's now that they're because they're so holy. They've arrived so far. Now, now, listen to me. Often in immaturity, people make the calls of the prophetic to be about them when the cause is to testify about Jesus and the many people he has plans to reach in a place, in a city, in a company, in a family. And Paul's posture changed at the prophetic vision because he was no longer focused on himself in his past. He was now focused about the many people that the Lord wanted to reach. See, I'm going to tell you right now and be real honest. If I came to some places in my journey of following Jesus where if it was just about me, I would have been gone a long time ago. I would be back in the world or running a company or this or that. But the Lord apprehended me, not be- for me and my cause, but for him and his cause. And he's got many people he wants to reach through your life, in my life, in our life, that he would be testified to. His goodness and his mercy that endures forever. Often in immaturity, people make the calls of the prophetic as a sign of the Lord's approval, of their godliness or their character when it isn't See the cause behind the prophetic and the cause behind the the spiritual gifts is because of the Lord's heart for the many people who will be benefited So when it comes to the prophetic it provides a context for us to answer the the question what kind of posture are we having what kind of posture You remember Acts 3:10 through 13 for time's sake I won't read the whole thing but a man gets healed. He'd been lame for years, decades. Men of Israel now are freaking out. Everybody's going wild. And they're all looking. They're looking at Peter and John. And, they, and Peter and John goes, hey, what are you marveling at? Why are you looking at us so intently? Why are you getting so focused on the vessel and the person as though by our own power or godliness this man was healed? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. See, that's what's supernatural, that's what the miracles, that's what the prophetic, that's what the spiritual gifts are about. That we would not just look intently on the vessel used, but look intently on the one who used the vessel, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go ahead and say, if we can get a community of people that won't look intently on the vessel, or who's on stage, or who laid hands, or who it was that prayed, miracles will explode in this place. Because it'll cause us to look intently and get a posture that's not focused on people, but a Posture that's focused on the Lord and the many people He wants us to reach. Oh, why is this happening? Oh, I'll tell you why. It's a context to get your posture from self-dependency to spirit dependency. The prophetic is a context to get your posture from one affected by the past to one of expectation for the Lord's future for you. You gotta understand when I when I came back to the Lord. <laughs> Out of the psych ward, off of drugs, broken, broken more on the inside than the outside. God began to use people. Because his mercy, he knew I didn't have enough faith to continue the journey. He sent people to encourage me, to prophesy to me. I walk in a place and didn't know anybody. Someone walk up to me and prophesy, and I'm like, this stuff's weird. Why is this happening? I'll tell you why it's happening. Because Jesus was being testified. Don't get weary in well-doing. I know you're a mess. I know you got places that need to be healed that no one know about. But Jesus is able. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So we ask this question. Is the prophetic and what's taking place in spiritual gifts, is it because of your person or is it because of the many people? I pray today by the Spirit it becomes about the many people. Your gifts, the prophetic, what God has given you. The cause is not the cause. The cause is posture. Verse 12. Galileo was pro of Achaia. The Jews with one accord rose up against Paul, brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God, contrary to the law. This brings up the issue of pending judgment. Dr. Luke here records that Paul, after some time, is brought before the judgment seat by the Jews, by the religious leaders and religious people and those with the religious spirit. And he's facing accusations. The judgment seat in the Greek language is the the word bima, the bima seat. Paul, in fact, himself speaks about the bima seat in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Let me read it to you. He says, therefore, we make it our aim whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, Jesus Christ. For we must all appear, watch this, before the judgment seat, not of Galileo, not the judgment seat of Woodstock or the judgment seat of the Supreme Court. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good and bad. See, Paul here is standing before a judgment seat of Galileo. He's standing before the government around him, those in authority in the government. But Paul clearly understood that the situation that he was facing, that the cause, the religious people and the religious spirit and the Jews around him, that the cause in the natural was not the real cause. Paul didn't allow the religious people who brought him before the pro-council to become the cause of why it was happening. As he wrote in, here in the Corinthians letter, It shows Paul got to the place of accepting that the cause behind the cause was him adjusting and evaluating his aim of being well-pleasing to the king and not seeking to be well-pleasing to men. Paul understood the cause behind the cause, the cause of accusations, the cause of potential lawsuits, the cause of pending judgment, was to get him to reevaluate and remember that we must all appear before the ultimate Bema seat, the ultimate judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Paul speaks in depth of this in 1 Corinthians 3. That there's this judgment for every follower of a Christ. And it's not a judgment of heaven and hell. It's not a judgment of eternal life and eternal death. It's a judgment on rewards or loss of rewards based on what you allow Christ to build in and on your life after you were miraculously born again by the grace of Jesus Christ. So when it comes to accusations, when you have people judging you, sometimes judging you wrongly, speaking against you. See, the cause behind the cause is for you to remember that one day you're going to stand for the ultimate judgment, for faithfulness to the king of the kingdom now. It's to affect us when we're dealing with pending judgment. The cause behind the cause is to get prepared now for the coming judgment the calls behind judgment and accusations and, and those type of situations now is to provide a context for us to get prepared for the judgment then. It's interesting that Luke says that Paul didn't even get to say one word to his accusers. Even this reflects what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, 36, but I say to you that every idle word men may speak they will give an account of it in the day of judgment what it's saying that when other judge people judge you when other people accuse you when you face legal issues and things like that in the natural the cause behind the cause is god wants to remind you that there's coming an ultimate judgment and you allow him to prepare you now to prepare you now the cause behind the cause is preparation The judgment that's pending, the judgment that you're facing, the accusations you're facing is not to hurt you, but ultimately to help you at the judgment seat of Christ. I love what R.T. Kendall said, great theologian. If you really do believe you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, your conduct here below will be affected. If you ultimately believe that you're going to stand before the king, the one who died and rose for you to be given life and have access into the Father's presence boldly, Do you really believe that we'll all stand before the beam of the judgment seat of Christ and have our life evaluated, our works of what we did with the seed of God, Christ on the inside of us, what we have done now that we've received the grace of God and stand righteous before our God and our Father? It will affect our behavior now. What will affect that we prepare for it now? Because it is an open book test. But on that day, the book closes. The book's open now to show you that he, God's a consuming fire and He can purge, He can burn what needs to be burned out, wood, hay, and stubble from our life, our behaviors, our attitudes, our desires. But on that day, the book's closed and we're evaluated. So I want to tell some people you're facing, why is this happening? Accusations, judgments, Maybe even some law issues. The cause behind the cause is to remember that ultimately you're going to face the great judgment of Jesus Christ and give an evaluation. And God will use this to remind you and prepare now. Prepare now. And I'm believing for a movement in the church that we all look for that day expect, with expectation knowing that we have rewards laid up. We have rewards laid up. So sometimes we ask the question, is it because of religious? Is it because of religious or because of law or legal? Or is it really because of God's trying to give you a reminder that the cause is not the cause. The cause is for preparation to happen now in your life. Then we come to verse 14. It says, And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and of your own law, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. Notice Paul didn't even get to open his mouth before Galileo, before the the authority. And... Galileo said, you look to it yourself. Galileo, as a government official, was in essence saying, don't get the government involved when this is a matter over your own law, your own words, your own purpose, your own names. This is something that needs to be looked to by yourself. This brings in the issue and the theme of personal leadership. Personal leadership. There are many people that's looking to the government, looking to Galileo's, looking to authority figures in their life and, and are upset and asking questions. Why don't they do anything? Why won't they help me? Why won't they fix it? When the issue is, it's something regarding your personal leadership and you need to look to it yourself. Back fact, Forward, I, I was watching, I, you know, I'm an observer by nature and calling and I was watching the young people walk in front of our table and I saw this one uh, lady, uh, young girl, last night. She was walking and all of a sudden she... And she looked down. She looked down like she was about ready to fight. She, I mean, she thought someone had tripped her or something. And I looked down when she looked down and guess what I saw? Personal leadership. Both of her shoes were untied. <laughs> and she had stepped on her own shoestring and pow went face planted on the carpet. And that's funny, but is that not what we do on a large scale? We're stumbling. We're, we're trying to get others to look into issues and government and people to fix problems. And, you know, we want government to fix our health, but, you know, we, 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 we eat 12 Twinkies an hour. I mean, we smoke three cigarettes at a time, one in the mouth and two in the ears. And when we ask questions in this area, the issue is about personal leadership. The reason they're not fixing what it is that you're questioning and dealing with is the cause is not the cause. The real cause is about your potential. Your potential for the king. Your potential for the kingdom. You see it time and time again in Scripture. People try and blame the devil. You know the the super spiritual? It's the devil. The devil tripped me. Oh, you mean that shoestring? The devil's after me. What are you talking about? You took out a loan that you couldn't pay for even in 20 years. The Bible talks often that we pierce ourselves because of our lack of personal leadership. Some of you are asking questions. And the answer, the cause behind the cause, is your potential for the king. Personal leadership. Learning how by the grace of God and the power of His Spirit to lead life. Not be a victim of life. Let me hear an amen. Amen. Some are still looking to parents. Some are still looking to teachers. Some are still looking to principals. Some are still looking to those in authority, to create a context to help them grow, to help them manage their behavior, to help them control their desires. And what they need to, what we're finding here, is they need to look to it themselves. The Spirit of God and the power of God wants to come into that area when you look to it yourself and allow the grace of God, where you fall short, to bring you to maturity in Christ. wants to bring personal leadership. Some of you are upset and asking, why is this happening, personal leadership? Notice he says, if it's a matter related to your own words, your own law, your own life, look to it yourself. He says, I don't want to bring, or I don't want to be a judge on some matters. Sometimes we are trying to get people to go against what the spirit of wisdom says in Proverbs 26, 17. You ready? He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own. It's like one who takes a dog by the ears. Now, if you didn't have a dog, let me explain because I did. Even though he's little, he had a a good bite. You grab a dog by your ears, that that neck's going to whip around so fast and those fangs are going to be out and you're going to get bit. Some of us were asking, why is this happening? It's because we're trying to get people involved in matters we should look after ourselves. And we wonder why we're getting bit. Why they're not helping us, why they're making it more difficult. Notice he says, when it's matters of your own law, someone say own law. Look to it yourself. This is in the New Testament what the Bible calls the law of Christ. That you haven't been married to a rule book that spells out everything that God has for you, God the Father has for your life. You've been married to Jesus Christ who was uh, risen from the dead. And when it comes to things that are not regarding wicked or right, but it's a matter of personal preference, listen, or God's personal plan for you, it becomes then a matter of personal leadership. You can't look to others to tell you what to do when it's not a matter of right and wrong. you got to look to the king of the kingdom. Because there are some laws that the king has for me that he doesn't have for you and matters not regarding right and wrong, wicked and good. It's what's called the law of Christ or the law of love. You read about it. Romans 13, 14, 15, James 2. So when we are dealing with this issue of personal leadership, it provides a context for us to reflect for what we're doing. Some of the things you're doing, not because you have to do it, but because God led you. But some of you are doing things and you have forgotten or don't even know why you're doing it. And so the context of what you're facing is to get you to ask the question, am I doing this out of love for God and love for people or am I doing this out of law, legalism? And if you're doing it now out of legalism, then your joy and your vibrancy for God is going to be waned. But if you remember that you're doing it for love, then you don't get upset if others don't do it. You look to it yourself. It's a matter of personal leadership. If my wife don't do it, it's okay. God bless her. She's not here. I'll talk about her. But if I look to it myself, I won't get mad if she don't do it if I'm doing it out of love for what God has led and asked me today. Are you with me? Paul said, all things might be permissible, but all things aren't beneficial. It's about personal leadership. You might be able to justify, it. it's not a matter of right and wrong, but if it's hindering your potential for the kingdom, it becomes a matter in a context for personal leadership. Someone say the cause is not the cause. The cause is your potential. Is it because of law or because of love? So the prophetic is a context for posture adjustment. Pending judgment and accusations are a context for preparation for the coming judgment. Personal leadership is a context for your potential being reached. Lastly, we come in verse 18 and it says, So Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must, someone say, I must, by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. Someone say, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Ephesus. Notice Paul eventually, he leaves and he sails to Syria. He makes a promise. The text calls it a vow. And for an outward sign of an inward promise, he cuts off his hair. Some of you are looking at my hair saying, he must have made a promise. Yeah, I made a promise with myself a long time ago. I'm not going to let someone else jack my my fade up. If it's going to be jacked up, it's because I cut it myself. Save my money and my time hallelujah but Paul cuts his hair off because he made an inward promise notice he then comes to Ephesus he enters the synagogue as was his custom and he reasons with the Jews and he begins to find people that are receptive they're so receptive that they ask him to stay a longer time But some of you are, are doubling in your Bible. Make it. Does it really say that? Because it says, though they asked him to stay longer and preach Jesus, he did not consent. He said, "I must." He said, "I must." I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. What do we see here? We see here the issue of promise. The issue of promises. To many, if you were Paul, you would think the open door was an open door from God. But there are some times when an open door is not God's door. See, listen to me. God does not open doors that lead to broken promises. God's not opening a door to a new relationship if it leads to a broken promise to a previous commitment. Just because it might be exciting, just because it might look advantageous, you know I'm in the spirit when I use that big word. I'm trying to get like Pastor Craig. He already used one word this morning. He's on track. We're we're, we're in the same. He already used one word I didn't know this morning. That's how it normally goes. So we're still still unified in the Spirit. But some of you are asking, why is this happening? Does God not know that I made a promise? Does God not know that I had a, a value and a commitment to something? Did He not know? this would happen after I made a promise that then the professor would like add an additional syllabi did he not know that work would ask me to work 10 more hours God did you forget I made a promise and now I'm in a place where I feel overburdened I feel overwhelmed what's going on I tell you what's going on it's a context for your will and your motives to be purified. That what you're facing now doesn't change what God led you to promise and commit to then. It's a purification. It's a purification like Psalms 15 and 4 says. In the context of Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? who may abide in your manifest presence. A person who's in eyes, a vile person is despised. Watch this, but he who honors those who fear the Lord. Here it is, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Some of you made previous promises and now there's hurt involved. You're hurting in life, you're hurting, you're overwhelmed. But you know the type of character that abides in sweet intimacy with the Lord, that He that does not change what He's promised and committed to, even if it's to their own hurt, even if it hurts their own ego, even if it hurts what seems to be their own open doors, even if it hurts their own comfortable place and the place where they have maybe tried to find compromise, they do not change. That's called a purification of character. That's called becoming a person that when you make a commitment, it doesn't matter if new doors open. It doesn't matter if new pressure comes. You ain't changing. You got a I must and I must. Not every open door is a God door because God doesn't open doors that lead to your character becoming closed to consistency in godly character. See, Paul was clear he had an I must. He had an I must already in his life. God had already made something clear to him. He already had an I must. And even though some others around him were saying you must... He said, no, my I must is greater than the you must around me. There's got to be some things in your life. There's got to be some places in your wheel where you get so purified in the presence of God, so purified by the fire of God, so purified by the love of God that you got an I must that's stronger than any you must around you. Whether it's a you must of government, whether it's a you must of a boss, whether it's a you must of friends and a context around you, you got to have an I must that's stronger than a you must must of others. Least you be conformed to their will instead of God's will for you. There's got to be a purification. Why is this happening? Why is this happening in the areas of where I previously made commitment and promises? Is you're finding a context to be purified. Purified. Is your inner I must stronger than the outward you must of others? Opportunities will come, but they will not all be aligned with your I must. What's interesting is the text concludes in verse 22 and 23. It says Paul was able to go out in order and strengthen all the disciples. You know why he was able to orderly strengthen other disciples? Because his own life was ordered and had been inwardly strengthened by I must. It's very difficult to strengthen others and what God's called them to do, if we've not allowed ourselves to have I must, that we've been committed and faithful to, even when there's other opportunities. It's amazing that things weren't offered to me. Until I stepped out into some things. And it began to look like the sink the ship was sinking. And you think, well, what's the cause? Do I need to go go? through this open door. No, the cause is, is God seeing is your will purified to be faithful to the I must that you committed in prayer in His presence and what He led you to even when the situations don't line up like you said. It's a purification. Some of you, listen, some of you are facing things right now because the context is showing you that you were leading yourself and it wasn't an I must from God. It wasn't something that was rooted specifically in the heart of God and in the power of God for you. And so now for some of you it's the opposite. Open doors and other invitations is becoming a context for you to find out what really is a non-negotiable I must for you? Or what is God wanting you to get more open to? or things you thought I must do? Maybe God's saying, you don't have to. I don't mandate it. And there's other opportunities for you. But I'm saying is you, as many of you have questions and it comes to this area. And the area in the theme of promise is about the purification of our motive, the purification of our calling, the purification of the non-negotiables, the purification of my will and desires that when I lay my head down on my pillow, I know that despite what's happening, despite closed doors, open doors, I'm right where I must be in following Jesus Christ, my King, and what He's called me to. And I don't care if there's outward signs. I don't care if there's outward people affirming it. I got it. I must. God's got a must for you. Why is this happening for some of you? It's happening to get you in a right posture because Jesus is wanting to move in you and through you. Why is this happening in pending judgment and accusations? It's because the Holy Spirit is wanting to remind you there's coming of the judgment seat of Christ and He's wanting preparation. Why is this happening? Because it's an area of personal leadership. And God knows your potential for his kingdom. Why is this happening in areas of commitment and promise? I'll never forget early on in the church plan, I we had a young person, sharp person, educated. Just a sharp person come and wanted to meet with me. In those days. Anybody wanted to meet, at me because I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> we, we had no building. <laughs> I mean, we had nothing. I met with this person and bought them Chick-fil-A. and Went over the vision stuff. They said, oh, my gosh, Pastor, I'm in. Where can I sign right now to become a member? I said, well, we don't really have a membership thing at this point. I mean, we just try and get some people <laughs> at God's sent. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I'm, I'm there. This, this is where God, I mean, I'm here. I got. Oh, this is awesome. You know, I didn't see that person again for like two years. Here's what I'm saying. What I've learned from those contexts is the cause is really not the cause. The cause for them is them really finding out, wasn't it? And I must. Or I just got excited for a minute. But also for me. Is this an I must for me? Is dwelling place movement and dwelling place wooden stock an I must for me? Or is it dependent on a you must and how others react? It's a purification of will. Hallelujah. I want us just for a moment to lift our hands. Right there. Close your eyes for a moment. I believe right now the Spirit of God is confirming and affirming and comforting in areas the mirror of Christ who is the word has revealed of questions in areas right now and the Holy Spirit is your helper he longs to, to lavish the love and the grace and his comforting presence to affirm that he's able to prepare you he's able to purify you he is able to get you in the right posture he is able to bring you to full potential Just breathe and invite Him in. Hallelujah. Just begin to worship. You can begin to stand. Begin to fix your eyes upon Christ who bled for you. There's no rival. There's no pursuit like Him. is filled with all wonder and splendor. And He is the cause behind the cause. Again, thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at www.dwellingplacemovement.org